Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and uses the imaginary Airzatz coffee shop as its platform to bring you a conversation about a plethora of scintillating topics. We don't shy away from any issue that is plaguing our culture or the church today, whether it's current cultural issues, questions about Bible verses, or even just some banter to encourage you. Dr. Jay Christensen is the Truth Barista, and he and amazing Larry Kutzler brew up highly caffeinated conversations for our day. Grab a cup of joe, pop yourself down in the booth next to us, and get ready to think. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry, and it's listener-supported. For more information about The Truth Barista, go to highbeamministry.com. Thanks for listening. A Laodicean church. It is an unconverted church because it has a warped view of Christ. The church at Laodicea had erred in their view of Christ. And if you have a wrong view of Christ, it has horrendous spiritual effects. There is no commendation at all. Look at verse 15. I know your deeds. That's all it says. I know your deeds. And there are none to commend, so there is no commendation. I know your deeds. 15. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You make me vomit. You make me sick. This is The Truth Barista, where we serve you the uncompromised truth. Dr. Jay Christensen, you know, it's so exciting. I'm so excited today. Do you know why? Why are you excited today? Well, we're coming to the conclusion of our series of the chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, the seven churches, and we're going to talk about the church of Laodicea. Oh, the church everybody loves to pick on. Yes. Yeah, and doesn't realize that many of them are kind of sitting right in the middle of that same church right now. You know, as we start, there was a quote from the late David Wilkerson, the pastor of Times Square Church in Manhattan. He had said, as the last days get closer and closer, he said there will be no distinctions between light and darkness. There will be a new hue called gray. And I think we're gray. I mean, you can say that that's almost a neutrality, a neutral position. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what Jesus was trying to say to the church of Laodicea, and you become so neutral that you're good for nothing. What? Well, I, I agree and I disagree with oh, that. Oh, there we go again. That disagreement <laughs> spirit. Okay, what, what, what do you disagree I cast with? cast off that disagreeing spirit. Uh, no, I agree with it to an extent because churches and individuals and even denominations can fall into that kind of lackadaisical indifference toward Jesus. And then it becomes, as you've sometimes said to me, church becomes a rock concert with a TED Talk. Yes. And then you leave and it's like, what kind of an impact are you having in the community around you, in your family, in your business? Are you being salt and light or are you ready for the dung heap, as Jesus says? However, I don't see it in a way, some people have looked at these seven churches as seven church ages and said, toward the end, you'll see the Laodicean type church. No, I think we see the Laodicean church and all the other churches that we've covered throughout history. I agree. Mm -hmm. And so I think today we see in third world countries, we see the persecuted church. We see the church of Philadelphia that has very, very little, and yet they love one another very, very deeply. On the other hand, in some of the Western areas, we see the love grown cold, 
Ephesus church. We see the the church at Pergamum, the compromising church. We see Thyatira, the the church that's corrupt. And then you see the Sardis church, the dead church. You know, you can definitely see the, you know, the downward slide of all that. And then we get to the very last church, which is the church of Laodicea. And this one is a very fascinating church because this is a church where Jesus really has nothing good to say about them. I noticed that. I noticed that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, you know, Jesus, you could have started with this church and then ended with the church at Philadelphia or the persecuted church, you know, and give it a go team. Okay. But in this one, it's like, oh, Laodicea, you're just kind of meh. <laughs> just kind of well, leaves it there. They're arrogant, I think, because they said they were rich and need of nothing, that pride, and, and yet they were neutral. You know, they were neutral in their voice. Their voice wasn't given to, I think, push back. I think they were just sitting back in the corner and getting richer and fatter and whatever. Well, let's read through it. Okay. Let's see what Jesus has to say about it, and then we'll give a little bit of context as we go back through the scriptures, because you have to know the context to understand what he's saying to Laodicea, because you can go off in all sorts of interesting directions, including one particular verse that's used for evangelism that's Mm -hmm. actually to be used for Christians who have grown kind of indifferent to Jesus. So let's go through this. So this is Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. Write to the angel of the church in Laodicea. Again, the angel would be the messenger, which would be likely the pastor or who's ever doing the, the main speaking leader of the the congregation. Thus says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the originator, or as they would say, the firstborn or the first creation of God's creation. Now, that's a problem right there because some people have looked at that and said, well, that means that Jesus was the Father's first creation. That would be the Jehovah's Witness stand. But that's not true. The idea is he's the firstborn over creation, which means he's the one who is the ultimate sovereign and ruler, just as a firstborn son takes the leadership of the family. Mm when the father moves out of the picture. So in essence, what he's saying there is, I am the amen, I am faithful, I am the true witness, I am the sovereign over my church, I am Mm. the firstborn son, and as a matter of fact, you're all accountable to me. I love it. And as the amen, he's the final word. Right. Okay, so we've got that there. Verse 15, I wish that you were either hot or cold. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. Now, did you notice that three times he said that? You are neither hot nor cold, neither hot nor cold, neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. And in some cases, in some translations, it says spit or spew. But really, the word here is I'm going to eat. I'm going to vomit you. You make me sick. Really encouraging words, right? Got to love that. For you say, I'm rich. I have become wealthy and need nothing. And you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich, white clothes so that you may be dressed, and your shameful nakedness not be exposed, and ointment to spread on your eyes so that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be zealous and repent. See, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To the one who conquers, I will give the right to sit down with me on my throne, just as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, now I'm going to throw it back to you. 
Is there anything particular that jumped out at you that you want to address as we go back through this again? Anything that seems weird, un, not understandable, etc.? Well, I think the knocking on the door is an oddity. And I think I know there's probably more material you want to talk about before we get there. But that one stands out because we use it, as you said, we use it as an evangelistic tool, but it really wasn't, correct? That's correct. It's not an evangelistic tool, but it has a very deep connection to what he's saying. In fact, as you read through the letter to Laodicea, it seems disjointed to the person that doesn't know the context. But when you know the context, it all comes together. So let's begin to dive into the context here. Verse 15. Actually, let's let's stop for just a second. Where was Laodicea? It's in Turkey or what we know now to be Turkey. Modern-day Turkey, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And it's sitting about halfway between two cities. One is Hierapolis, which was known as a medical city. And Hierapolis was the source of some very warm spring water. In fact, the hot springs that were there and Hierapolis were looked at as a therapeutic. Mm. Now that water, because Laodicea is sitting in a valley, even though it's well watered by rains, they needed to aqueduct this water in for the general populace. So they would aqueduct the water in from Hierapolis and they would aqueduct the water in from a nearby city called Colossae, the Colossians. Now the water coming in from Colossae was very cool, very clear spring water. So in other words, you could look at Laodicea, they had hot and cold running water. Mm. You would think that, but after traveling about six miles, what would happen to hot water? Well, it would cool off. So it probably was the same temperature as the other one coming in, right? And so, yeah, so the cool water would warm up, the hot water would cool down, and you would wind up with Mm, lukewarm water. Okay, right away, the person who is speaking here, John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is drawing upon a picture that the Laodiceans would know. They would know hot water over there in Hierapolis is a therapeutic and it's good for healing. We want that. Mm-hmm. Oh, we want this water from Colossae because it's cool, clear, crisp spring water. But let's face it, by the time it gets to us, blech. <laughs> and of course, lukewarm water is a great breeding ground for pathogens. And so by the time it gets there, number one, it's not suitable for refreshing mm-hmm. and it's not suitable for healing. And so this is the problem that this is the picture he's drawing on. Laodicea, because I know your works. Now, he hasn't said where the works stand. I know your works and those works are lukewarm. In other words, you're not healing anybody and you're not refreshing anybody. Hmm. This is a commentary on what they're doing as a congregation. They're not influencing the culture. They're not bringing healing to the culture. They're not bringing refreshing to the culture. They're not being an influence for Jesus on the culture. In a sense, you could almost see that they're just going through the motions. They're not having an impact. Now, you want to talk to Laodicean church? This would be, in many cases here in the United States, this would be very equivalent to a social gospel church that is kind of doing, you know, good for humanitarian works, but there's no real gospel behind it. There's no conviction of sins. There's no proclamation of Jesus' sovereignty. There's no push for, you need to get your life in line with the Lord. And out of that life in line with the Lord should come good works. But if works take the place of the gospel, you have, in essence, become lukewarm, even though you're still active. 
Well, I would agree with that. There, there's nothing wrong. You're 100% right, Dr. J, on that. But I've been in evangelical churches. You know, we're talking about a church that really does, proclaims the good news, and they've been dead, too. I mean, Okay, define uh, how you mean dead. Well, they don't have a, a zeal or a zest to share the gospel. You know, people talk about the pastor will get up and he'll talk about prayer meetings, how important they are. Few people ever show up. He talks about, let's go out on the street or let's go somewhere and talk about Jesus to the public. Nobody shows up. You know, it's like that lukewarm, it's infective. The church as a whole, I think today, in general, I'm painting with a pretty broad brush here. I get it. But in general, is pretty docile. You know, it has no voice. It doesn't push back. You know, we have a lot of problems here in Minnesota where we are originating this broadcast. We have a legislature that wants to protect pedophilia. And either the church, is it is it up in arms? Are we storming the Capitol with, hey, this is not going to happen? I doubt it. And that's lukewarm to me. I mean, I said a lot there, but I'm just saying that I think the church, its first call is to bring people to salvation. No question. But there's a second call of pushing back the darkness. Because if you don't push back the darkness, you're never going to get a chance to talk about the first one, the salvation. Right, right. And there's a cause for that not pushing back on it. And the principle here in Laodicea is they've become so comfortable. By the way, I just want to add this to the context. Laodicea was a very uh, affluent city, and it it was a, a place of great trade, and they became very wealthy. Well, because they were so, all of their needs were met, what do you need with God at this point? And if you don't need God, and you're not, it's not producing that fire in your belly, you have a tendency to kind of just sit back and drift, which is what was happening with them. And when you begin to sit back and drift, then the then it's not just pursuing the gospel, but like I said, it's making an impact on the area that you're in or whatever is in your sphere of supposed influence. You're right. I've seen I've seen protests at the Capitol, but I'm thinking, where are the multitudes of people dealing with these abortion issues? Where are the multitudes of people at the Capitol when they were changing the language so that we wouldn't offend pedophiles? Uh, where are the multitudes of church people out there? I've seen this in my own congregations, too. It's like you call for a prayer meeting, hardly anybody shows up. And what do we do? Speaking as a pastor, and man, as a pastor trying to get churches fired up, sometimes it's the hardest thing to do. In fact, there was one time I remember I was sitting at the pulpit. I was ready to deliver my message, and the Holy Spirit had me stop. I turned my message over, and I said, you know, until we get more fired up and we want to do some praying and do anything here with this congregation other than just sit down and have this filling station kind of mentality, we're done. Just go home. Come back when you're interested in actually doing something for Jesus. And it stopped the service right there. You really did that? We did it. And Because, you know, we're not messing around here. This is an eternal life issue. If you go through this chapter, you see how serious it is. He says, you're neither hot nor cold. And because you're neither hot nor cold, I'm going to I'm going to, you make me sick. I know that's hard line, but that's what the Greek says. I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, see, here's the reason why they're not hot or cold. I have become wealthy and need nothing. Prosperity is worse for a church than poverty. 
Poverty keeps us connected to God because we're crying out for our needs. When we have prosperity, what do we need God for? Right. That's what God warned the Israelites before they went into Canaan. He goes, now you're coming into an area here where you're going to be very prosperous, but I'll tell you what, <laughs> if you get in there, you're going to walk away from me. So you better be prepared to stay tight in the midst of prosperity. And he says to them, you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful. And here it is, poor, blind, and naked. You got to separate that. Because of your richness and your wealth, you are wretched and pitiful. And he describes why. You're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. Those are the three things Laodicea was facing. They were a financial hub. They were near a city, Hierapolis, that was known for a medicine that was good to for eye problems. And they were also the center of a rich wool trade, a very fine wool. And so the clothing industry was important. Interesting, he draws in the context. You are poor, mm. not rich. Even though you're rich, you're poor. Even though you have this eye salve, you're really blind. And even though you have this clothing industry, you're naked. Why? It's not the material. It's your spiritual mm -hmm. side. That's what's suffering here. So what's the remedy? Verse 18. I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. Fire in scripture is adversity. That's what you lack, Laodicea. You lack adversity. You lack suffering. You lack persecution. You lack the things that heat you up and hammer you into something that of value that I can use. Instead, you're just kind of like a lump of cold lead just sitting there doing nothing. How many churches, how many individual Christians are like that today? Well, we don't want the adversity. In fact, the message of the church today is peace and prosperity, as you're saying. But very few pastors that can say, hey, listen, you are going to be hated by the world because of his name. Nobody wants to be hated. Yep. We don't talk about that, but that's adversity. If you're in the face of the world and telling the world that the gospel, that there is a moral and spiritual nature to our lives, and we're not going in that direction, you're going to be hated. And isn't it interesting, one of the biggest churches out there is a church that preaches your best life now. <laughs> you want to talk about a Laodicean themed church? Now, I don't know. I hesitate to say the name, but I'll say it. I don't know Joel Osteen's church. And I had a friend that went there mm -hmm. and he said, some of the pastors on staff there are real firebrands. Really? He was very, very impressed. However, when you have that best life now theme, mm -hmm. that's very Laodicean because it's focusing on prosperity. It's mm -hmm. focusing on lack of adversity. But adversity is something that, well, even God says it in Hebrews chapter 12. He says, I discipline those whom I love. Discipline, adversity, struggles and trials that's what tempers metal if you don't have heat and pounding at a forge you have a metal that's weak and is brittle and will shatter in the time of warfare and jesus is saying that's not the church i want my body needs to be strong so when they come into adverse times they are they are strong and they can cut in the issues and and they can begin to bring their voice against the wrongs that are in society. I mean, that's where the works come from. The works come from the faithful adversity that they experience. He says, that's why you don't have a voice. That's why you're, that's why you're really pitiful because you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked. And he says, so buy from me gold refined in the fire. Go through, be willing to go through adversity. Get the white clothes of holiness that you may be dressed in your shameful nakedness, not be exposed, and get that ointment to spread on your eyes so you can actually see your spiritual condition. But here's his encouragement. If there's any encouragement here, it comes in 19. As many as I love, 
He says, I'm bringing this message to you because I love you and I'm rebuking you and I'm disciplining you. So be zealous and repent. Mm -hmm. It's very much kind of bringing it around to the first church. Ephesus, Mm -hmm. go back to your first love. Repent, fire up, be strong. And here's verse 20. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens a door, see, it's not stand at the door and knock that's important. It's what comes next. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. To eat with somebody means you have a covenant relationship with them. He's going, right now, your indifference has shut me out of a relationship with you. But if you go through adversity, if you're willing to examine your spiritual condition, that's opening the door so that we can have a relationship. Don't shut me out, church. That's Jesus' message to the church at Laodicea. And I think that's a message to many Christians today and many congregations today. You have shut me out. You need to go back to your first love like Ephesus. You need to avoid the corruption. You need to avoid slacking. You need to embrace persecution when it comes. And if you're being godly, you'll get hit with persecution. That's right. I mean, it's already happening across the United States. We see it in the media. We're getting slammed. If we happen to stand up for the gospel and the the good works that the gospel brings us to, if you're going to have to go without because of your stand for Christ, you still got me is what Jesus says. Hmm. You can lose everything and still have me. Or you can be like Laodicea. You can have everything except Jesus. And so what's going to be the best choice? This is the choice he's giving to them. To the one who conquers, I'll give you the right to sit with me. That's the message. You overcome, you come back, you can sit with me. There's the relationship. It implies if you don't, you don't get to sit with me. Hmm. You don't get a relationship with me. And to me, that's a dead church. It's not whether it's active or not. It's whether do you have a relationship with Jesus? I know a lot of Christians who are very, very active, but I talk with them and they don't give any indication they have a relationship with Jesus. That's right. Mm -hmm. So this is the final message before Jesus gets into the book of Revelation that talks about a time of great persecution. He is preparing the seven churches for the persecution that's yet to come. You know, that's very interesting you say that because I have felt for a long time that the modern church does not prepare for the persecution. We are almost like the Joel Olstein church. We want the best life now. So preach to me, pastor, the things that I want to hear that I know will be a blessing to me and my family. But please don't talk to me about the persecution and what I must do to prepare for those days. Because the sad thing is, persecution is coming. We know that. That's what the Bible ends on, is the great persecution that's going to come to this world. Now, some people think, well, we'll rapture out of it. Well, maybe we will, but what if we don't? Regardless of when that rapture happens, darkness is going to continue to get darker, not lighter. The only time it gets lighter is when those feet of Jesus hits the Mount of Olives, right? That's right. Uh, Then things will change. So are we preparing people, Dr. J, for the things that are going to come? That's the big question today. That's the big question. And and the church has experienced persecution since the days of Jesus. And if they persecuted Jesus, they're going to persecute us. He, He promised us that. He also said, yep, when the time comes, as we get closer to the end, the, the persecution is going to ramp up in great intensity. But even in the context of what John is writing about right here, and he's writing during the time of the rising persecution against the church. They've already gone through Nero's persecution in the 60s, in 65. That's when Paul and Peter were martyred. 
according to tradition. John is writing this about 25, 30 years later, and persecution is coming to the church in waves. The Jews had had kind of a pass in the Roman Empire. They'd been around long enough that the Roman Empire understood that the Jews worshiped the one true God. So to force them into emperor worship, it was not going to happen. And so they said, okay, as long as the Jews remained a peaceful community, they would give them a pass. But then comes the stream of Messianic Judaism, of Jews that believed that Jesus was the Messiah. And they had that same attitude, but they were different enough that they became a target of Roman persecution because they would stand up and boldly proclaim, oh no, it's like, yeah, we follow this Jewish God, Jehovah. We do. But his son is the Messiah. He is the king of Israel. Now, that's a threat to the Roman emperor. And so suddenly, what people would have said, let's say, uh, Haman said to the king back in the time of Esther, there are these people who live apart from us who worship this way. Rome was content to let that slide. But for these Christians, they became the target. And when there was Christian and Jewish squabbling, that's what got Emperor Claudius worked up before Nero and ejected the Jews from Rome. Well, now the Jews had returned, and under Nero, Nero blames not the Jews, he blamed the Messianic Jews for what's going on. So then the Christian stream became the target of Roman persecution. Okay, so this book that we're reading here is actually written on the heels of persecution, in the midst of persecution, and in light of Jesus' end-time teachings, facing a future great persecution. This is what has happened throughout church history in waves. And let's face it, the American church has been very triumphalistic over the years. Mm-hmm. Now, this is a Christian nation. And I look and it's like, yeah, a Christian nation, huh? 67 million abortions and you call this a Christian nation? Mm-hmm. We're the number one producer of pornography in the world and you call this a Christian nation? And there's all sorts of these anti-God philosophies that are out there and, and just blasphemy. Blasphemy is an antiquated word. It means to speak injuriously of something. So you have society speaking injuriously of Jesus and of his father and of his followers and of the organization. And on top of that, you have people within in the church that are doing egregious things. You know, the pedophilia that's being exposed among, you know, many Christian leaders, the sexual abuse that's going amongst the leaders, the embezzlement that I've seen. We call ourselves a Christian nation. We say we stand for God. Where are the works, O Laodicean Church? Mm-hmm. Now, on the flip side, there are wonderful Christians out there that are doing the right thing. Mm, they, they have a zeal for Jesus, and they're doing fantastic works. There are churches out there that are blazing lights for the Lord. We need the whole body to become like that, and that's the benefit of persecution. Well, Dr. J., this is the last church we're doing, the seventh church of Revelation 2 and 3, and we only have a few minutes left. If you were going to give a, an overall view of what has happened, what, what are we taking away? What, what's the main thought of these seven churches that you could just put into a sentence or two, summarize it all? I like what you wrote on your blog. You called it When Jesus Speaks. Mm. And there are many Christians today that you know, listen to the pastor. You know, what does the pastor have to say? Well, if the pastor is listening to Jesus, then Jesus is speaking through them to them. But the Christians, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. It's our individual responsibility to listen to Jesus. How does he speak to us? Through his word 
and by the Holy Spirit speaking to us inside. Look at what everyone says at the end. He says, to him who has ears to hear, in other words, to ears to hear is a Jewish phrase meaning to listen and to obey what you hear. To anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus speaks to his church, the individuals and the congregations, through the Holy Spirit. We need to get into his word. We need to read these churches and say, Lord, seriously, where do I stand? And when the Holy Spirit speaks, you better listen and you better get ready to act. Well, and if you have missed any of this series of these broadcasts on the Churches of Revelation, you can find them at our website. And what is that? High Beam Ministry. That's high beam like car high beams because we're shining the light of on the road ahead. Highbeamministry.com. the truth today? Dr. Jay Christensen is the Truth Barista and the founder of High Beam Ministry. Jay is a creative person who wants to use the setting of an imaginary cafe to produce a series of radio and internet programs that confront the issues of our day through the lens of the Bible. The Truth Barista was the avenue that was developed to communicate truth using the Bible as the source of our information. The Truth Barista is a production of High Beam Ministry and can be found online at highbeamministry.com.